0: in the not-too-distant future, following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of Secret World War 2. There's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You' found one of those transmissions
1: today. Welcome to the last common Show.
0: Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's now time for more cartoons here on The Last Comic Shop. As on today's program, we're going to be reviewing the comic book history of animation. And I'm the host of the most, Danny Larson, and I'm joined by J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. Get your cereal ready because it's Saturday morning cartoon time. So what do you guys have in your cereal bowls this week?
1: My favorite cereal, which I can't get anymore, Frosted Shredded Wheat. You can't get Shredded Wheat? Not here, no, no. Frosted shredded wheat. Not, and not the mini bites. The full okay. size ones. So you, like, put two or three and they break apart as you put the milk on and they get a little soggy and the frosted bits can with the milk and it just turns into one giant piece of sugary wheat goodness. Now, are you just a plain Jane or do you go with the strawberry or blueberry versions or...? I don't believe that they had strawberry and blueberry when I was growing up, so I'll probably Man. be boring and plain Jane.
0: There you go. Well, they eventually came out with maple brown sugar, which I, I did not think was Ooh. actually quite good. Uh, Chad, yeah. what are you having in your cereal bowl? I'm going to go Raisin Bran Crunch. <laughs> I like Raisin Bran. I'm the one guy. Boy, are you guys both constipated? <laughs> what is going on? We are full of it. That's for sure. <laughs> Come on, it's gonna be a Saturday morning. You gotta have something sugary sweet. I'm going with peanut butter crunch. Peanut butter crunch is hands down the best cereal to have. If you're gonna watch Saturday morning cartoons, in fact, let me finish my bowl here.
1: Say, hey, I will say if we're talking Saturday morning cartoons, since I grew up without a television and I most watched most of my cartoons when I came to visit you. Another thing I always got, which I couldn't get at home because my parents refused to buy it, was Lucky Charms. Ah, So maybe I should have gone with the Lucky Charms.
0: They're magically delicious. My, uh, my, the new diet I'm on, I can't do cereal, and it's like, it breaks my heart, because that was like a mainstay.
1: I love breakfast cereal. I just had a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios.
0: Oh, the O's are good. Yes. Yes. Although I just I just like the plainos to be honest. I just sprinkle a tiny little little bit of sugar on the top, and then I just eat the plain. I've never been an extra sugar adder. No, oh, yeah. It's always foreign. Like it's crazy to me. Oh man, like that's uh, Crispex, got to do that. Rice Chex, a little bit of that, just a tiny little bit at the top, and then you're fine. Oh man, Sweet I, I could throw way. in a fruit. You want to toss a blueberry? <laughs> in Oh there. yeah, yeah,
1: blueberries, blueberries in the plain Cheerios. There you go. <laughs> All right. So
0: uh, now that we've finished up the serial talk, uh, it's now time to get into the nuts and bolts of this week's episode. But before we get to our comic book review for this week, I did want to give us a shout out to those folks that are taking some time to vote in our weekly polls.
1: As you may or may not know,
0: J.A. Scott has been kind enough. Fill our Twitter page with a weekly poll. And thus far, we haven't given the results on any of our podcasts, even though we've kind of promised that we would. So on this day, we're going to play a little bit of catch up, give some of those results of those polls, as well as some of the comments that some folks might have left uh, with those polls. So, J.A. Scott, our poll master.
1: Uh, what was the first poll that we put out on the website several weeks ago? Uh, we're going to go through about a month of polls. We've got some more polls now, but let's just hit the first month, the first four polls. So the first one was, who was Superman's best villain? Uh, there were four choices. You had Lex Luthor, Darkseed, Doomsday, or Brainiac. And taking in the top spot was Sexy Lexi. Uh, a surprising second place in that poll was Brainiac. I keep on equating Brainiac to that old uh, superpowers figure where he was all like... I was going like, to
0: bring that up. He's all chromed out and awesome. Right. He's got the brain casing and he just looks all cyborgic and e- evil. And he used to scare the, sh- the daylights out of me back in the day. I was just like, that guy just looks creepy, man. Oh, yeah. And that one, I, I've tried to find that to, in modern times. That's a tough figure to get a hold of now. Yeah, his uh, his action power was a karate kick, I think. Yes. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> a kicking cyborg robot that makes sense.
1: Sweet With a brain. Awesome.
0: <laughs> That's right. If you, if he needed a field goal, just throw Brainiac in. <laughs> Just make sure Lace is out. So, um, yeah, I, I, I know I love that poll just simply because I was able to post some of those old hostess ads with the old hostess <laughs> villains. Like somebody was trying to steal all the Twinkies from Superman. What was the second poll that we had
1: on, on week yeah, the two? Second, the second poll was probably the most uh, contentious. It was the best non-comic X-Men related property from the 90s. So we had the 92 Konami arcade game that you used to be able to play if you went into old-style coin-operated arcades. We had the 90s animated series, we had the first two X-Men films, and we had the original Toy Biz action figure.
0: Guys, real quickly, which one did you vote for? I know we all voted in this one. What did you vote for? Uh, For me, it was that that coin-operated button masher, that arcade game. was great. Yes. Yeah, that was for me, too. I mean, the six player cabinet, too, that was like with the double screens, like that was the way to go. You walked into a joint
1: and you saw that, you were like, BAM! Money down! I have to say, no, I went the other way. I went with the animated series simply because it had the best opening soundtrack. Uh, do, 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 do,
0: do. See, I, I, I liked that one, but I was like I, I in retrospect I like that Pride of the X-Men more. Uh when they that, the Australian just, Wolverine. Right. Well, just because they had the costumes that I liked more. They had the Bern Cochran costumes from the 70s versus the 90 Jim Lee costumes, which I I they were all right, but like plus you got Kitty Pride on that show. Instead of Jubilee, please, there's no
1: comparison. If you're going to have audience surrogate, I'll take Kitty Pride any day. Interesting fact tidbit from this poll is that somebody actually did vote for the Toy Biz action figure. (laughs) See, I thought that was Chad. I, (laughs) I won't lie. I love
0: those things. And, you know, the second wave of those action figures. They cribbed liberally from Rob Liefeld's X-Force. Right away!
1: I had cable from that line, and I remember I had a Magneto that I chopped his head off and then glued to uh, Silver Surfer's body to turn him into Magnus the Robot Fighter.
0: See, I, yes. I, I have bad memories of that line, just simply because towards the end, I just got a bunch of peg warmers like for my birthday. They were like, here's a George Washington Bridge, and here's a Gideon. <laughs> And here's a, a grizzly. It's like, oh, right. I got a Gideon. <laughs> and I was like, "Who are these people? I can't even get one of the six Wolverines that you put out for this line. Mm. <laughs> I gotta get a Gideon. See, there were cool ones in there. There was the Iceman you could put in the freezer. I just remember the Colossus that had like that massive weight. And, he, and, and his arms were useless otherwise he would just throw this weight up in the air but because they were <laughs> bent at the elbows what was I supposed to do with that he was just frustrated Cyclops you would ask him a question and he just yeah, throw his arms yeah, in the air yeah. like, oh, I don't know what to do.
1: poll number 3 was in, in honor of uh, may the force be with you yeah. Star Wars Day we had best lightsaber color blue green red or yellow I saw some comments about the yellows for sure and how
0: terrible yes yellow was
1: thrown in sort of as an homage to the Kenner Luke Skywalker Empire Strikes Back figure and Kenner Luke Skywalker Star Wars figure both which came with an inexplicable yellow lightsaber made into canon I don't know if it was the Ray movie or if they had a yellow lightsaber before that.
0: It's because they didn't care. I mean, the heads <laughs> on the toys were Butch Cassidy and Sundance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will say that uh, if you read the current Charles Soul run, that, that book I re- recommended a couple weeks ago, The Destiny's Path or whatever, Luke does get a li- yellow lightsaber. It comes from a High Republic jedi or whatever so there you go Mm -hmm. but yeah it still sucks who won that one is it the green like i voted
1: no blue handsomely destroyed all comers in that i will point out that there was a comment that the only answer is purple because samuel l jackson is the bomb which (laughs) no one can argue with and what was
0: our final wrapping up that month you know of our first four polls what was our fourth poll
1: Okay, so this was in relation to our review of the Valiant. Best Valiant character, and this poll focused on the new Valiant characters. So we weren't looking at sort of the retreads, the gold keys. We were looking at pure Valiant-made characters. Uh, we had Faith from Harbinger, Exo uh, Manowar, ninjack and then because there's so many other category where you could put in your comment who you liked and we got a lot of people did go for other we had eternal warrior bloodshot archer from archer and armstrong but still even with that exo man War takes the prize
0: oh, oh, too powerful
1: <laughs>
0: yeah with
1: the joe casada art Yes. Exo yeah.
0: Man number zero. I had like three copies of that because I thought it was going to go through the roof. And then nothing happened. <laughs> Oh, those valiants and and that bubble bursting it screwed me. But those were our first four polls, and again, they all related to those particular episodes that we uh, reviewed those particular weeks, and they are available out on www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. So if you liked any of the polls that we talked about, make sure that you go out there, listen to our Superman versus Imperious Lex show. Uh, You can listen to our new mutant show, which dealt with the X-Men. You can listen to our Star Wars show, or you can listen to our Valiant show. They're
1: all available. And if you want to get in on the action, the polls come out every Wednesday morning. So have a look on your Twitter feed for the next poll and, and make your vote count absolutely yeah, check it out
0: on wednesday maybe listen to the show before you head to the comic shop you might hear a recommendation that you want to pick up hey and we'll be right back with more of the last comic shop right after these messages we're going to finally get to our book review for this week again fred van lente and ryan dunlevy doing the comic book history of animation so stay tuned hey this is 10m padawan J. coach duffy from the ocho duro parley hour podcast thanks for listening to the odph now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast all right we're back with more of the last comic shop and it's finally time to get to the uh, bread and butter not nuts and bolts of our show every week and that is our famous read pile review
1: uh, ja wh- which book are we reviewing this week well as you said in the open it's the comic book history of animation by fred van Lente and ryan dunleavy
0: all right, so now it's time for the 10 synopsis from our good friend Chad. He was the one that recommended today's book, and he's going to give us a little bit more information about what happens in the comic book history of animation. Chad? I've known uh, Ryan Dunleavy from back when he used to do work on Wizard on the back of the posters. They would have the little calendars. Um, <laughs> so that was, geez, way too many years ago. And then Fred Van Lente, his work I really noticed when he started doing The Incredible uh, Hulk, and hercules uh, along with greg pock first found them working together on a book called action philosophers which basically uh would give like two or three page vignettes to a bunch of different philosophers uh throughout the course of history and they followed up action philosophers with the comic book history of comics which was super awesome and basically followed jack kirby around yeah uh, throughout the the history of comic books from the early (laughs) days when he was doing captain america to he quit and then ended up going to DC for a little while and then coming back to Marvel and doing the Marvel Universe. Then he quit yeah. and went back to DC for a little while and then. Right, right. It's like six issues of how many times can the world screw Jack Kirby? Yeah, 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 <laughs> he's such yeah. a oh, see, it yeah. feels so sad for him, but he but he's like the best protagonist for that book. Anyways, go on. Yeah, he's a great creator, but a very poor businessman. <laughs> but they're primarily academic exercises where these guys take a, a fun and sort of jaunty look. At some pretty heady topics and put it out in a way that's easy to understand and comprehend. Uh, and so now they've taken their, their tools that they've honed and applied them to animation here in the comic book history of animation, where it starts off at the very beginning of animation when it was basically a, a carnival trick. And you know, you get people like Windsor McKay, who used to do uh, the Captain Nemo strip, uh, yes. becoming an animator. Gertie the Dinosaur, plenty of historical figures that pop up from Thomas Edison to Teddy Roosevelt. And then you get through the history of animation, you hit the big ones, you get the Fleischer Brothers, you get uh, Warner Brothers and their secretary that played a huge role in animation. And then you end up in the Disney camp and you find out a lot about Walt Disney and uh, Ub Ewerks, I can pronounce his last name the right way. From Disney, then you get into the later stages of animation. You get into the Hanna-Barbera stuff, sort of like a cartoon renaissance that happened in the late 80s, 90s, and then everything went overseas, and then there was anime. And this basically covers it all. It's a very academic process, uh, but it's put in comic book form in a way that, you know, you get the combination of visuals and, and words, and it's not quite animation, but I feel like. It's in the same ballpark. There you go. That is a great, great 10-cent synopsis. And real quickly, we're going to go ahead and get into our initial thoughts, as we always like to do. And I think I'm going to get started by uh, saying that, again, this isn't my first go-around. You know, on our previous show, Chad and I did review together the comic book history of comics. And I thought that was, again, immensely satisfying the first time that I read through it. Uh, because I learned so many facts and so many wonderful little tidbits and nuggets of information about the comic book industry. And so I felt like the second time through, not nah, not so much because it was kind of like watching a documentary the second time. You're like, I've learned all this. Like, I, I, I don't know. But I, I will say this, that I kind of felt like the same way here with comic book history of animation, in which I was pulling out so many little fascinating nuggets. Like, for example, the fact the Fleischer brothers were the ones that came up with the idea that, Popeye should get strong by eating spinach. But it wasn't from Thumble Theater, it was from Fleischer Brothers. And, and it's crazy because they were also the same folks that said that Superman shouldn't jump really high, but fly. So it's awesome to think that the Fleischer Brothers came up with all these little changes to these iconic characters that we just take for granted now. But it wasn't until their cartoons that we actually got these aspects of those characters. But I will say this, I'm sure there's going to be folks that maybe will pick up this book after listening to today's program and think, boy, this is dry. Because <laughs> it is, it's academic. And I will say that when I say it's immensely satisfying, I've got to preface it by saying it's immensely satisfying in the same way that reading a really good illustrated Wikipedia entry would be. <laughs> okay, now I do need to admit something here that's uh, I held out on you guys a little bit you see i got this book through the kickstarter okay one of the cool parts of the kickstarter was fred van Lindsay, after he released every issue would also release a newsletter that had lists and links to the cartoons you could watch wow which the problem is i ain't got time for that so i just ignored most
1: Mm. of that stuff
0: And so that that may have helped it seem a little less dry.
1: But that's what I was going to say that I found was missing from it because to me it was very much an illustrated Wikipedia article, and I was missing the links out. I wanted to see some of this stuff. I wanted to see you know an original Felix the Cat in silent black and white, and I wanted to see well I'm not Steamboat Willie because I've seen that too many times, but you know some of the early. Disney stuff before he thought commies were everywhere, and when he was coming off of uh, shooting German helmets with bullets and putting mud on them so they looked more authentic. That's the thing. Like most of like the first three issues
0: is all about Walt Disney. It's Walt Disney's story. Like, again, uh, Chad mentioned his friend and fellow co-worker, UB. I'm not even going to pr- try to pronounce his last name. But basically how the fact that, like, UB left his organization because <laughs> Walt Disney was kind of a jerk to pretty much everybody that he was around, but had some way of inspiring them. I don't understand that, how you can be a jerk yet still inspiring. I I, I-, I don't get it. But at the same time, like this UB guy came up with all of the awesome things that eventually we came to know from the Disney, like you know putting uh, live action and animation together. Like it was his process, and Walt Disney's like, ah, I'll put my name on it. Ding! Yeah. He was the Kirby to Disney's Stan Lee. That's right. But just like Kirby, like you need to have somebody that like is somewhat of a character. And I think that what you get with Walt Disney within this is they draw him appropriately well with the mustache, which is a little bit longer because sometimes I feel like he's about to twirl it just like a kind of like a cartoon villain, not somebody that's really menacing, but just like (laughs) I'm going to tie you to some railroad tracks or something like it's that was my favorite part of this because I always thought that Walt Disney was a Nazi. In this book, he wasn't a Nazi. He was just a bad guy. (laughs) He just wanted to make a lot of money and he would do what he needed to do to get the results that he wanted. Like there was a chapter where he talked about, you know, he would just fire people just to let them know that he was in charge. He was like, I might hire him back later anyway. But all the union busting, all that stuff, it wasn't because, you know, he was anti Semitic or it wasn't because, you know, he was this uber terrible person. He was just a capitalist in the worst way. And so, I can dig that. Like, it makes me feel better about enjoying Disney Fair. That's true. And it's so it's so great, uh, some of the great good things that came out of the really, Walt Disney's entire production, where, like, so many people that he kind of, I don't know, fired or pissed off or something, and then went to someplace else. Like, Fritz Freeling went and left, and he went to War- Warner Brothers and helped create Porky Pig. And so you wouldn't have Porky Pig, which, therefore, you wouldn't have Looney Tunes. And then you wouldn't have Bugs Bunny eventually.
1: Going back to... Yubi's contributions, that was one of the most fascinating aspects to me of those early stories of the early Disney stuff was, the, as you said, the Kirby, but the Everyman. Like, he, he's the one who came up with the whole technical way of treating Dumbo negatives so that they would come out magenta for the uh, elephant sequence to really pop out. You know, he, he was like the guy, he makes the glass tubes for the television right disney's the one who sells it but i'm the one who's going to do all the technical stuff that actually makes it happen and i think he's the kind of guy that now would be really recognized as a genius but then was just kind of paved over in history
0: right but that's no matter what industry you go into like whether it's Woz and steve jobs whether it's jack kirby and stan lee or whether it's uh uworks or walt disney there's always that showman that seems like you need that. I feel like if you don't have that necessary element, no how matter how great the Kirby's or the Ubs or the Waz's are, you know you need that magic combination. And even though Disney was, I, I'm trying to think of a better term than
1: slave driver. In the in, in the book, they call him. He wasn't good at as, as a businessman. He wasn't good as an animator, but it was really good at being a boss. Yeah.
0: But he was so maniacal about the work and and had such high standards for getting it done, even though it was relatively impossible by normal means. But because of that, like, look at what became of animation. And as Andy was alluding to, it wasn't just what Disney produced. It took all those people and pissed them off. And then you get the Warner Brothers cartoons. And They talked about how the Warner Brothers, that was such a more freewheeling place for animators. And how they were able to, you know, make up their own rules as they went. And beautiful stuff that came out of there, too. I, I know growing up, I was a much bigger fan of everything that was that came out of Warner Brothers. Like, everything that Chuck Jones touched was gold to me. Like, what, And it was wonderful in this book to remind me of some of my favorite cartoons. Like, Duck Amuck and uh, What's Opera Doc? And they forgot about The Rabbit of Seville. That's one of my personal favorites. And the thing that I never knew was the duck Amuck? Like, it had its roots to the earliest days of animation. The, talk- the chalk talk. Yeah. But no, the other thing that I wanted to mention is it's so emblematic, dating back to the original history of Disney and Warner Brothers, about how they've cared for their properties. And like today, Disney cartoons are, you know, held in this high esteem. And, like, the Warner Brothers, they could care less about their property. I, mean, I know we have Space Jam coming up, but how long's it been since everybody gave, anybody gave a dart about a Warner Brothers cartoon? Well, That's also true.
1: because uh, another thing that they get into, and it's a repetitive thing, it, it's, it, it shows up over and over again, is once they've built up this backlog of cartoons for a certain property, they just reissue them. We don't need to pay new creators. We just use the reruns. Do it with reruns. I'm I'm surprised that the comic book industry hasn't caught on to that. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, didn't they try with X-Men? Isn't that essentially what the early X-Men stuff was? Be quiet. This is basically what
0: DC's doing now. Be quiet. Quit giving them ideas. (laughs) And that's what I got out of this. I mean, there's a part of me that really loves these kind of books. And it goes back to my point that comic books are for everyone. And there's a comic medium for everyone. There's even comic reference books, which this is what this is. This is, a, this is a reference book. And there have been other examples of this in the history of comics. I think about things like uh, when I was growing up, the old guidebooks to the Marvel Universe. Do you remember the where you had a computer if you wanted to know about the gardener? Like you could either find that obscure issue of the incredible Hulk that he happens to be in or pick up one of these guidebooks and read a little passage for both J a and our listening audience, both the Marvel handbooks and the DC who's who have recently come out in Omnibus. (laughs) And so if if that's your jam, you can track them down currently still at reasonable prices before they shoot up. But there's just some times when I would want to just learn about something. And whether it's this or comic book history of comics, I feel like they, they have a place because sometimes you just want to just get some facts. And by having some pictures included with it, eh, it's like icing on top of a cake it, or the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. You, you feel like you're learning something, but hey, you're learning it fun, as the kids would say. No, and I, this, honestly, with stuff like this, especially with the animation, because I'm a passing fan of animation. I'm not super huge into cartoons. But uh, growing up as a kid in the 80s, you know, I didn't know the history of this stuff. I didn't know that Fantasia bombed. I knew that Snow White was a big hit, but I didn't realize that after that, like Disney went through you know a real rough patch where he was putting his animators through all this hard work to do all these things and they weren't getting the returns. Like there were so many things that I just I didn't have the timeline down for. And it matters. And like that stuff with Duck and Muck, where I'm learning like, oh, that traces back to the history. For me, that's stuff that's neat to know. Thing. Like I wouldn't pick up a, a regular, you know, 400, 500 page book on animation and read through that because I would just lose interest too fast. Give me a five, six issue series like I can do that. I can pull stuff out of here that, you know, is interesting and also reframes things for me in a way that it's like, oh, that's
1: why that happened then. And I was going to say the comic book medium allows for the story to be told in a way that you don't lose track of all these different characters because there's so many different people so many different little threads that they go into but they're able to draw each person in a way that relates them to that character. Like the Walt Disney character always has mouse ears and walks around looking like Mickey filmation guy is drawn like Skeletor. Yeah. Lou, Lou Scheimer is,
0: is drawn like Skeletor. They did. They nail them all. They, they make Chuck Jones be Wile E. coyote. They make Hanna Barbera be Tom and Jerry, because that was their first big creation. But they do that with the Fleischer brothers. They do that with, um, even the character from the, the photo From manga which in the second Half like it it switches From being a story about walt disney to being a story about Miyazaki, which again if for those folks that love anime love manga they're listening to our show they're again the last two issues do a lot with they kept on pushing the envelope forward for some of this this animation stuff plus they've all got the pixar stuff which was really interesting to find out how like there was this guy that like ridiculously drew all these triangles on a plaster cast and then like put it into a computer and they didn't know what to do with it. And then George Lucas comes in and says, oh, you can draw lightsabers. (laughs) Yeah, but it's also great that that guy's Woody from Toy Story. and It's like he's punching it into the big calculator keyboard and stuff like that. I I want to make sure we give credit to Ryan Dunleavy's art and his cartooning, because I think his style of cartooning is great for some of these drier historical books. And it also works for this animation as well, because he's able to bring such energy and enthusiasm to each of his panels. And like you guys mentioned with the characterizations, it's all there. And that doesn't happen without somebody. And like people might not notice how great Dunleavy is. I don't want that to go unnoticed. He does a a fantastic job. I I, I did want to put J.A. on the spot before we go to commercial break, though, in, in that before the show began, he kind of looked at both... Uh, chad and i and he said this shouldn't have been a comic book and i want him to expound upon what he meant by this shouldn't be a comic book
1: you're telling this big sort of encyclopedic story of the history of something visual like cartoons you want to see some of those original cartoons Origi- uh, so i think while it works as a comic book in this day and age It's like, why use the comic book medium? Why not use a more interactive medium to tell the story? Or if you're going to do it in comic book form, do it in a non-print version that's got hot links. Most people are reading this on an iPad. I think they lost a step there. They talk about how the history of animation is always pushing forward, always moving new things. But then they use a medium from the first part of the 20th century to tell the story why didn't they embrace 21st century things
0: i agree and fred van lindsey ryan dunlevy and colorist adam gazowski whose name we left out earlier if you are listening to this which ah, might have that's a great idea when you re-release this again as you've done with action philosophers when i had to buy it first in issues then in trades then in the bigger trade and then recolored do a digital format and put little TVs in there, you know, little hot links in TVs that would link to the cartoons. The only thing I would worry about is uh, you know them potentially running into copyright issues. Yeah, that's or, true. Like there are certain things they can get away with with this because it's a historical representation. Fair
1: use, yeah.
0: But I don't know if that would apply to the cartoons themselves
1: right well
0: and, and i and honestly i'm gonna kind of stick up for it being in the, the comic book medium just by saying like a lot of things i don't have time to watch all these <laughs> cartoons yeah. i really don't like maybe says, there's...
1: says the man who who reads his books by listening to them
0: oh good gravy
1: <laughs> uh, so
0: it's nice to have just like the the major tidbits like, here's a panel for that looks exactly like, I don't know, dancing skeletons from first Silly Symphonies yeah, that was ever made. I love made. that. I never knew that was the first Silly Symphony. That's, that's right. so fun. We watch that every year in my house. Unless you've got, like, Chad that evidently loves that one. Not the most of them are like, kind of like, ah, what am I, what am I doing here? Yeah, no, like, what am skeleton- I doing with my seven minutes? When like, they play the bones <laughs> like xylophones, that's the best. <laughs> what i'm saying is some of these older cartoons don't hold up very well and especially when they start talking about some of the ones that were specifically unfortunately either rampantly racist or sexist or something like it's it's like anything in any of these mediums like the past is always good great things like the the max flusher supermans watch those but do not watch I, i i can't even say some of the names yeah i was gonna say when i worked at the video store we got in a collection of the, the Max Fleischer cartoons, and at the bottom it was like parental warning. These contain images that might be unsettling. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's Superman cartoons. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can't do that today. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. I mean, yeah, it's- but I wonder how many awesome cartoons we lost. And there's a, there's a page in here where they talk about when Disney went through their library and they cut out things that had the guns and pills and knives and fighting. You know, like how many awesome cartoons that we just not have anymore? because there was something that's not what we would call PC today or whatever. Yeah. And will we ever see them again? I don't know. Well, so it's nice to have them just like, again, mentioned in this particular volume without having to go into it. But I get JA's point, sometimes watching some of the cartoons, I would have loved to watch duck and muck again. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, we've got more of the last comic shop coming up right after these commercial breaks with our rating of the comic book history of animation. So stay tuned for that folks.
1: Have you checked out QuadMproductions.com lately? Quadmproductions.com is your direct access hookup to order the Enigma comic book series and download the QuadM Show podcast. Check the appearances page for upcoming events and contact us with any questions or comments the only lonely soul who's missing out on all the fun visit us today at quadmproductions.com that's quadmproductions.com hey everybody this is nerd bomber here one of the co-hosts
0: of the online warriors podcast our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies gaming technology and entertainment And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news. And then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Ratings. So most ca- cartoons have the rating of G or PG, unless you're in that anime crowd. Then they get whoop, <laughs> R, M, M X, Tentacles, F- who F- knows? Oh, any, Some, something so off the scale. Get some woman making love to a wildebeest. I don't know. I, 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 You never know what's going on there. But on this show, we only have a one out of four scale. That's our rating. But J.A. likes to, like, pep it up a little bit. Play a little anime by giving us something weird and wonky to, to rate it by. So what is the rating scale
1: for this week, J.A.? One out of four cells. One out of four animation cells.
0: <laughs> the more we get, the more layers we can have to our animation. Yes. There you go. Uh, so, uh, we're gonna start off with Chad, because this was his pick, and I think that he's gonna be probably very, very enthusiastic with this one, I guess, right? No, 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 not enthusiastic. See, here's the problem. Of the Fred Van Lenti Ryan Dunleavy work that's come before, this is my least favorite of the three. Ooh. Okay. And no offense, because this is the first one I read the first time with colors, but uh, the reason being... I love philosophy, so action philosophers—that was my bag. I love comic books. Uh, the comic book history of comic books—that was even better, I think. But uh, this one, with the being about animation, I thought it was interesting. But I also like—I struggled at the beginning to get into it, and it was interesting to learn how many people in animation were dicks. <laughs> Thomas Edison? Who knew? He was a dick that caused animation to go all the way to the other side of the country so people could be away from
1: Edison. Everybody knows that Edison was a dick.
0: I don't, but for animation?
1: Oh, right. True. <laughs> like, but I guess you figure, you know, good to go with Tesla the man, not the car, by the way. So many things I don't understand.
0: But yeah, he was a dick. Disney was a dick. He worked for Miyazaki, he was terrible. Like, these guys are all dicks, but they make these things that we love. Uh, so anyway... But I, I'm also not as into the animation. Like I'm more of a, I have just a passing interest. So for me, uh, I was excited to learn something new, but this didn't hit me nearly as hard as for his action philosophers of the com- history of comics. So I'm gonna give it
1: three cells out of four. Okay. All right, J. A. What is your rating for this week? Yeah, I agree with Chad. It was, it was one of those things where you're reading it because you kind of, we had to read it, that was the assignment for the week. Uh, had I not had to read it, probably wouldn't have read it. Now that I've read it, I learned a lot of stuff. It's sort of like one of those afternoons that you go down the Wikipedia hole and you just... Go really in depth into one subject or whatnot, like uh, you know. Wait, and, and then, by you, the
0: way, you now have more things for your Wikipedia holes.
1: <laughs> I got lots of little fun facts and tidbits. Like I didn't know that uh, it would become Pixar. Their first big hit was the the animation on Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. That was pretty cool for me being a, a Star Trek guy. So, um, and that they felt that they needed to draw George Lucas as an Ewok. <laughs> So I also give it three out of four animation sounds.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I, I thought actually you were going to be a little more critical of that. But um, I, I think uh, I think it's going to be across the board. This is a three out of four. Uh, really it, kind of generous for me because uh, I, I, although I enjoyed action philosophers, although I enjoyed comic book history of comics, I did mention previously that... That for me, those books are really hard to reread, uh, and I think this one is no different. I don't think that I will be rereading this uh, particular book at any point, because I've gotten all my facts. I've gotten all my bar trivia. Like, I can say, hey, you know what? That's why uh, all characters wear neckties around their collars, so that they can animate the heads when the bodies are different, like they can have all their own different cells. So it's an old animation trick. I didn't know that. When I'm having a sip of Guinness, I can tell somebody and they can tell me to shut up and drink my beer. So that's why Yogi Bear has a bow tie. That's right. So, uh, but at the same time. There is a place for books like this. There really are. And it is, to Chad's point, whether you are interested in that particular subject or not, like that's something that you have to take into account. A lot of people might not read this because they're not interested in animation. I will say that this from Fred Van Lente and Ryan Denlevy was kind of a better choice than even comic books because there are more people nowadays into animation than there are into comic books so if you want to reach a wider audience this is a probably a better topic to start from but at the same time it is kind of academic but there's a place for it just like there's a place for all kinds of books you can have textbooks right next to romance novels and that's the wonderful thing about comics is you can use the medium to tell any kind of story that you want so three out of four for pushing the envelopes of the medium And giving us something else that we can pick up at a comic book store. And now it's time for recommendations. An opportunity for you to pick up other comic books in addition to the comic book history of animation at your local comic book store. And as always, we uh, like to give a similar book, a current book, and a book out of left field. So we're going to go ahead and start off with our similar book, and that comes from J.A. Scott. So
1: J.A., what is the similar book for this week? Okay, well, uh, the similar book is a little bit out of of left field as well. It is How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way by Stan Lee and John Bushima. Everyone who grew up in the 80s and the 90s and loved comics and loved to draw probably had this book on your shelf. It talked you through how Marvel comics were made, the Marvel method. It helped you plot out Comic book panels, draw characters, draw muscles, draw action, draw movement, and I'm fairly sure that several people's home brewed comic books had some John Bushima like art in them. I can wow. t- attest that mine did.
0: Two quick additions on that one. One, that book has shown up in Five Belows recently. So if you have a Five Below store near you, you can pick that up for a fiver. And two, did you know ja because it took me years to realize this they printed a page upside down and instead of correcting it they're just like ah it's fine like, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> i did not I, don't, I can't remember the specific page but like once you know there's an upside down one it's easy to notice it's like oh that's yeah people wouldn't land that way on the ceiling Well, I I can't attest that J.A. Scott, when we used to do comic books back in high school, he actually was pretty damn good at aping John Bushima for a little while. He had the John Bushima chin. It it was nice. So if you're going to learn how to draw comic books, if you're a young kid that wants to learn how to draw comic books, there's not really a, a better book out there to kind of get you started a little bit than, again, that particular recommendation. Chad, what is our current book for this week? Okay, these guys, this is Fred Van Lanty Ryan Dunlevy. I'm a big fan of these guys, but they keep selling me the same thing. It's driving like, me nuts. So I initially had stumbled across the, the first book that I found from them was Action Philosophers. And I found a couple of single issues. It's was like, oh man, i got to pick up the trades. I picked up the trades. And then a few years later, they released the more than complete Action Philosophers. I'm like, well, I've got to get this because it has extra stuff in it. And what do they do? But recently, within the last month, they've wrapped up their Kickstarter where they are releasing a newly recolored version of Action Philosophers. Hook on the Classics, Volume 1. They're supposed to do uh, three volumes, but it's all predicated on the first one being a success. Supposed to come out this August on your regular store shelves if you missed the Kickstarter, but it is going to be the Action Philosophers, which I can't recommend highly enough, but it goes into some pretty deep things in a way that's fun and entertaining and educational, and now it will have color and even more stories. So I'm going to have to buy it again. Well, there you go. Uh, real quickly, Chad, I've always wanted to ask you, so, uh, what was your favorite entry from the Action Philosophers? Oh, I've always been a Nietzsche guy, so uh, whenever he shows up as the Ubermensch. Uh... <laughs> See the one with the beard? Like, he has the big, muscly body. That's Plato, is the, is the, uh, the wrestler guy. He's like their their mascot. Okay. I know Nietzsche had the uh, mustache. The... Kind of looks like, I don't know, Superman from Red Sun a little yeah. bit there. Yeah. Alright, well, the uh, out of left field pick this week is actually deals a lot with the, the topic of today's program, which is animation I might as well talk about my favorite cartoon, which is He-Man and the Masters of the Universe As you might know from listening to shows, I am a huge Masters of the Universe fan And I, I'm super, super excited for the upcoming uh, Masters of the Universe Re- revelations that will be dropping on Netflix this coming July from uh, Kevin Smith and company. But uh, if you uh, need your Masters of the Universe fixed now and can't wait till July, make sure that you pick up He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse, which was a fantastic uh, six-part series put out by DC Comics not too long ago. It was uh, put out by uh, Tim Seeley on uh, writing duties and Dan Fraga on art. And uh, real quickly, the the 10-cent synopsis is by the power of Hellskull anti-He-Man is on a mission and basically you get this anti-He-Man that decides that his job is to basically go to all the other dimensions and kill the He-Man that exists there. And so you have an opportunity to kind of revisit all of the different versions of He-Man that we've been given, which is actually quite a lot. Not only do we have the He-Man, a lot of folks know from the Filmation cartoon, but you also have the He-Man from the mini-comics, especially the original mini-comics, they call that Mini Turnia. Uh, You have the Space He-Man, you have the Dolph Lundgren He-Man, you have the He-Man from the 2000X line. Uh, So you have all these fantastic He-Mans. And so it's it's an opportunity for basically the Dolph Lundgren He-Man to put together this army of of He-Mans to try to stop the anti-He-Man before he can kill all of his fellow uh he-man brethren
1: does faker show up faker was always my favorite (laughs) anti-he-man basically just a exact he-man clone that they just color different color to to sell more toys
0: with all the blue (laughs) he-man you're running out of oxygen
1: that or he's cold. He's very cold.
0: Hypothermic He-Man. That's true. Well, I will say that anti-He-Man kind of looks like Faker, except uh, he's like a, a burnt umber, and he's got orange hair. But, it's, I mean, it's close. Whatever, but it's it's awesome because it's like the, it's pulling that entire notion of the, like the Crisis on Infinite Earths, in which you get all these various interpretations of He-Man that have popped up over all the officially licensed materials and continuities, and they they all get to kind of team up. And actually, the hero of the whole story is a Skeletor from a universe which he didn't get a bone face, and he just <laughs> remained being Keldor, and he actually was nice. It's actually his story because like Keldor is traveling around with the He-Mans trying to set right the anti-He-Man who comes from his dimension. And in doing so, he keeps on meeting all of his bad selves from all these other universes. And it's kind of like that nurture versus nature, which is like, will Keldor eventually just give in to his You know, destiny of just being a bad guy like all the other Skeletors, or will he rise to the occasion and and actually be the uh, hero of the day? I can't recommend it enough, and I kind of wrote another blog on it on my website, so make sure that you check that out. I'll have a link to that uh, this week as well if you want to read some more about that, but that's my recommendation. And uh, if you want to make sure that you can check us out often, you can do so at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com It is a terrific place where you can get all of our old episodes as well as our new episodes by rate reviewing and subscribing to all those terrific places, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, uh, Amazon Podcasts cast box and a variety of other platforms while you're out there checking out some of our old episodes because they are evergreen and can be listened to at any time make sure that you also check out some other terrific stuff like
1: what ja well we've got some merch yes we have beautiful merch on our website you can get shirts you can get hats you can get beer koozies this week only it comes with a special acme prize box
0: <laughs> just in case you want to be wily coyote i guess While well, we are the last comic shop podcast we actually just do the fun parts of the comic shop we don't actually sell you the books and things we leave that up to other comic shops which you can find by using the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com where you can find a place near you that will stock all these books maybe you can find some awesome cartoon based books from way back when maybe some of those old star he-man comics or i know and you, you talk fondly of the DC Comics Presents Superman-He-Man crossover. Oh, yes. From Eternia with Death. It's a great title. Uh, and if you ever wanted to see a pre-crisis Superman throw down with He-Man, that's a great place to... And that's the thing. Man, that is a great gateway, still is, for folks to get into comic books. Those licensed cartoon properties. Uh, I know that growing up, I had n- not only the He-Man ones, but I had G.I. Joe and the Transformers. Just con- even continues to this day. Uh, the Teen Titans Go comic book is very, very good. Yeah. So I'm still buying Sonic the Hedgehog for my boy, and uh, my little girl loves the My Little So uh, well, Every time I see those, I bring them home. There you go. And one way that we're always bringing it back home is by telling you that to tune in next week to more Last Comic Shop. Uh, I'm the host with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And until next week, stay safe, stay sheltered, and as always, stay tuned. Well, that was great. Just being a kid of the 80s, like just seeing all the references to the 80s cartoons that I know we all love. Whether it was G.I. Joe, which made it for a panel, or He-Man, which Andy, we all know Andy loves He-Man. That's right! Yeah, but they only talked about it for like two seconds. It was more than G.I. Joe got.
1: Well, I, I think the interesting thing about Filmation and all those, like, 80s cartoons, G.I. Joe, to- Transformers, was they were all predicated on the change in the FCC ru- regulation that allowed, essentially, half-hour commercials. <laughs> Toys.
0: That's right! And Lou Scheimer was the one that brought up that, like, ah, oh, Disney's been doing that for years. That's yeah. It's all brand maintenance by putting in, like, the Walt Disney Castle on the beginning of every single episode of the wonderful world of Disney. Like, that's just, hey, look at our stuff. Come to our theme park. Now Disney owns everything. Yeah, like, last night I woke up and I had a, a Disney logo imprinted on my back. It just turns out I slept on one of my kids' toys wrong. But for a second there, I was really worried that Disney owned me. They own my soul in so many other ways. Branding.
1: (laughs) The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.